Jericho was tightly shut up because the Israelites, no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Has seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man strained in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in from it in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voice, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, then the people returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you to the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and the iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the, destroyed with the sword everything living, every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. 
today we continue our series on stories of the Old Testament that are worth remembering. And today we come to the story of Joshua and the walls at Jericho. And many of you had this in, in Sunday school and you, you know the story, but I think it's good for us to review it. Uh, I want to start out just by thinking about who would you say are the most formidable foes that we have faced here in the United States? Uh, historians like to discuss this kind of stuff. Uh, some would point to the mighty British Empire, whom we had to fight for our independence way back in the 1770s. Others would go right to World War II, and they would go to the Japanese. They were such fierce fighters. They would fight to the death. And military planners, it's a fact, uh, in order to ensure victory over the Japanese, we had to have a five-to-one uh, advantage. Otherwise, they could not guarantee victory. Or some would point to the, to the mighty Wehrmacht of the Germans, okay, and their advanced technology with their weapon system and, and their strategic control of the battlefield. But most historians would say the, 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 the most formidable foe that we ever faced in the United States was ourselves. A little war called the Civil War, remember that? People of our own country in the North fought the South. And if you add up all the totals of casualties of those who died and were injured, that war has totaled up more than all the other wars combined. Well, you might not think that's interesting, okay? But we are talking about foes, formidable foes. And we're talking about the things that we face in our spiritual lives that battle against us. And the Bible usually categorizes the three foes that we face, three different categories, First of all, Satan or the devil. But the Bible says that the devil in, in 1 Peter, he prowls around like a, a roaring lion seeking to devour us, to eat us up. Or the second category of our foes might be termed the world. St. Paul says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Okay, And the world is always trying to influence you and pull you away from the truth of God. It's what sin does. And finally, we talk about the sin that we have in each of us. It's the sin that we inherit, that we have when we're born, that we got from our parents, and it's the sin that we are tempted to do every single day in our thoughts and our words and our deeds. That's why the Apostle Paul says, the good things I want to do, I end up not doing those, and I end up doing the bad things that I, that I don't want to do. And so we've got these foes. Is there any hope for us as God's people as we battle the foes? Well, this story of the children of Israel conquering Jericho gives us hope. As we think about where we are in the history of Israel, remember Moses had already uh, passed away and the leader of the Israelites as they inherited the promised land was Joshua. And they had a strategic plan First of all, they started in the middle of Cana, and, Je and Jericho was right in the middle. And so if they could defeat the middle part, then it would separate the north and the south, and it would divide them. And so the, the, the first thing that they faced was Jericho. Now, what do we know about Jericho? Jericho was a city of fighters. When the first spies went in to spy out Cana, they came back and they said, we saw giants. They were most likely some of the warriors at Jericho. We saw walls that were impenetrable. Probably they saw Jericho. 
Our text tells us that the thing that made Jericho most formidable was the wall that was around the city. Now, uh, biblical archaeologists have done a lot of research. They found that these walls were, it was actually a double wall. And the walls were as much as 12 feet thick, and they were 40 feet high, taller than the ceiling right here. And so every day as they came upon Jericho, the, the sun would inch over the eastern range, and they would see the my, mighty and proud Jericho, and these walls towering over them as impossibilities. There was no way over the wall. There was no way around the wall. There was no way through the wall. And to make it worse, the people hunkered down within the walls. Verse 1 says, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites, and no one went out and no one came in. And the only way to defeat a city like that would be an extended siege where they would camp around the city, and it would take months and maybe even years. From a human standpoint, it looked bad. They could have done that, but... God had a different plan. From God's perspective, this seemingly impossible situation, it only disguised an opportunity for, to see God and his promises come true. What was the promise? In verse 2, in spite of the strength of, of Jericho, God promised Joshua, he says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. This was no problem for God. To defeat this city. In fact, he says, I've already given it to you. I've already defeated it. One of the words that keeps coming up in the book of Joshua 60 times is the word inheritance. Now, what is an inheritance? Is an inheritance something that you deserve or that you earn? No, it's a gift. It's something that is given to you by virtue of who you're standing in the family. And God had given the Israelites and inheritance it goes all the way back to Abraham where God set up a covenant and said you're going to have a promised land and you'll be a promised nation with as many descendants as, as sand on the seashore and stars in the sky and from you will come a blessing for all people, a savior. And so God had given them an inheritance and part of it was this land and part of the inheritance was the victory that God had already given to them over Jericho. And the question is, would the people have the faith to claim that inheritance? Would they have the faith to trust him in the midst of these formidable odds that they faced in this huge wall? Well, Joshua, from experience, knew that God could be trusted. He knew God's holiness and might. He knew that no river was too wide or no situation too deep or no wall too formidable. But would he be able to convince the people? Well, rather than Joshua trying to defeat Jericho on his own with his own plan, he waited for God. And sure enough, as he waited, God gave him this plan. Now, I'm going to read the plan of victory once more and see if you think it sounds rational, okay? Here's what they were to do. March around the city with the armed men. Do this for six days, having seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, you march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. And you say, that's it? We're going to march around and yell? And the walls are going to collapse? Don't you think people wondered about this plan? Don't you think Joshua maybe had a, a few doubts of his own? It sounds illogical. 
But isn't it a fact that sometimes God goes against all human logic in order to, so that we don't rely on our own reasoning, so that he can work a miracle, so that he can do things that we can't do because he's God and we aren't. Now, the Israelites didn't have a very good track record of trusting God and his plan. And Joshua must have wondered, are they going to obey? Are they going to follow? Or are they going to doubt? Are they going to do what's right? Or are they going to revolt? Remember, they even had picked up stones and almost killed Moses as their leader at one time when Moses shared God's word. But amazingly, the people obeyed. And so Joshua lines them up. First you have, he divided the armed men, and we think it was probably about 40,000 armed men. And he divided them between the front and the back of the parade. Okay, so you had the armed men in the front, and then after that you had seven priests with seven horns. And we're going to talk more about the ram's horns a little bit later. And then you had the Ark of the Covenant right in the center. And then you had the rest of the, the rear guard, the rest of the armed forces. Okay, but what about, where were the other men, women, and children? There was a professor here from Concordia Theological Seminary, and I had read about this, and I asked him, he's an expert in the Old Testament, I says, how many people were there at this time of the children of Israel? And he says the estimate is between two and three million people. And so you had these armed forces walking around the city, then you had the rest of them all on the outskirts camping out. Well, God had an instruction for them too. He says, do not give a war cry, don't raise your voice, don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout, and then shout. So he tells two million people to zip it up. Can you imagine that? That's a miracle in itself. They were not to talk for six days. And then on the seventh day, when, when Joshua sounded the horns and said shout, then they could shout. Now, I learned that this week that there were two kinds of trumpets two kinds of horns. There was a silver horn, a metal horn, that would call the people together for assembly. And that's what it was used to call people together. And then there was the ram's horn. And the ram's horn was, when the ram's horn would sound, it was a sign of God's presence. It was a sign of God's provision. In this case, it was a sign of God's victory. And so that's why every time the ram's horn would sound... And uh, it was this horn that assured the people that God had already given them the victory. So for six days, if you can imagine, the tension starts to build up within the city as the people of Jericho see this parade, this funny parade, go around their city. And then on the seventh day, they watch Israel march around their invincible walls, not once, not twice, but six times. And then on the seventh time, when the priest sounded the blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Have you ever been in a large crowd where people shouted? What's the largest crowd you've ever been in? I got to go to the Rose Bowl, Pasadena. That's the largest football stadium I've ever, it was over about 102,000. And when 100,000 people shout, it's, it's amazing. When you go to Lucas Oil Stadium with the, with the roof closed uh, and people are, they do the, the decibel meter, it's loud, isn't it? Can you imagine how loud it was when upwards of two million people shouted? What do you think? You think we could do a pretty loud shout right now? Huh? You think so? Let, shall we try it? All right. 
When I count to three, I want you to shout as loud as you can. Let's see how, how loud we can make it here with about 229 people, okay? One, two, three. Ah! That was pretty good. Now, so if you multiply that, okay, to two million people, what an amazing sight that must have been. Walls had never collapsed as a result of people shouting. But that day, that day in Jericho, the walls collapsed. And God gave victory for his people. Friends, what do we learn from this? I mean, it's a great story, isn't it? And we're going to reenact it a little bit with the kids a little bit later on. But what, is there anything that we can learn in the 21st century from this story of Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho? The first thing that we learn is that God still keeps his promises. In a world where we as Christians seem under attack at every level, especially with our Christian values, God is still there for us. And he still promises us victory. The Ark of the Covenant, you know, that's interesting. The Ark of the Covenant, remember, was placed right in the middle of the, the parade that went around the city. Now, that's interesting because the Ark of the Covenant, it held some of the historical features of, of Israel. It had the, the Ten Commandments. It had the, the manna in it. But wherever the Ark, that was the symbol of God's presence for his people. And so whenever the Ark was there, they knew that God was with them. And that's why they put the Ark right in the middle. Isn't it a reminder that God is still in the middle of everything that we face? And again, I don't know what kind of walls, giant walls that you face in your life, but whatever you are facing, God is with you and he's right there in the center. Not only did he make you, but then through Jesus, your savior, he died for your sins and he rose again so that you have the assurance that you belong to God, that you are his and that, that Jesus Christ is in the middle of everything that you face. Are you facing... Difficulties with your finances, pressures? Jesus is right there in the middle. Are you facing difficulties with relationships? Maybe it's your marriage or your kids or friendships or people at work. Jesus is right there in the middle of it. Whatever you are facing. Are you facing challenges with your health? Jesus is right there in the center. And he promises us victory just like he promised them. When it comes to the Lord, he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And he reminds us that even when the battle plan doesn't work out according to my plan, even though God doesn't give me the kind of victory maybe that I want, that God is still in control. In Romans chapter 8, it says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. So that's number one, that God still keeps his promises. Number two, God gives you and me the faith to trust him, to trust him for the victory. And even though some of the massive walls before us in life seem impossible, God says, don't rely on your own strength. Don't rely on your own wisdom. Don't rely on your own plan. Trust me. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Whatever you're going through, you trust him. Yesterday I got a phone call from a young lady. It says, Pastor, 
I don't come to church very much. But this morning, my mom died. She was only 51 years old. And I don't know what to do. I'm devastated. Friends, we face walls. We face formidable foes in our lives. And yet we have the assurance of God's grace that somehow, someway, he's going to work it out. And the God who gave his life for you says, I'll never leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. And so even in times when you don't have the faith to conjure up, that's when God has to strengthen you by the power of his Holy Spirit. He even gives you, he even prays on your behalf with words that you don't even know. And so we trust him. We trust him. We let go of our ability to fix things, to knock down impossible walls on our own, and we cling to the one who gives us victory, the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the third thing that we learn is that not only do we believe, but with God's help, we act. Faith minus action is zippo, zero, nada. Joshua believed in God's promise, and what did he do? He immediately went to work and did what God told him to do. And that's what God does in our lives. He gives us the grace to, be, to not only trust him, but then he gives us the grace to be able to follow him. We, we, we put our faith into action as we honor him like we are today in our worship, as we show our love for him, as we care about others and serve others around us. Our faith moves us to obey him in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. God's miraculous grace enables us to hear the ram's horn of victory. And the walls that were once considered to be impossible now are merely stepping stones to have a life of victory. My guess is some of you are facing walls right now in your life that are every bit as formidable as Jericho's. And yet I hope and pray that from this memorable story from the Old Testament that we can see a ray of hope. <clears throat> Let's talk about the ram's horn just a little bit more. Do we still have ram's horns? I believe that we do. We have a ram's horn that assures us of God's victory. And what is that ram's horn? It's God's word. It's Holy Scripture. God's word keeps Jesus Christ in the center of everything that we are facing. The victory that Christ won for us by his death on the cross and his resurrection is right in the center of everything, and we stay close to him through his word. That's how he assures us of that faith that we need of the victory. That's how he then leads us and instructs us in our lives. And so even in these summer months, we're faithful in our worship. Even in, 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 when we're on vacation, we remember him and his word. Many of us have, have apps on our phones to help us to, 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 to stay close to Jesus and his word. We get ready, we start planning already for the fall when we're going to get into Bible classes, when we meet with other Christians and in our small groups. Our daily and consistent contact with the Lord gives us the strength to face those formidable walls in our lives. And finally, just like the children of Israel, we remember our inheritance. Friend, God put you into his family. Starting at your baptism, God made you his own. He says, fear not for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name and you belong to me. 
And as a result, we have an inheritance that is not just today, but will last forever. Well, I'm not going to make you shout again, but I am going to say, ask you to say amen. 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 And so may God continue to bless us with that victory that he gives us in our lives, just like Joshua.